All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you today. I'm honored to be up here speaking this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Tyson. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Callwood Church. And uh, I want to let you know, before we get jumping into the message today, a couple things. First, grade sixes and sevens, uh, if, if you're in the room, you can head on downstairs. We've actually got a spot for you to have a conversation this morning and go learn as well. So if you want to go do that, grade six and sevens, you are more than welcome to do that. Uh, we also just want to just say thank you again for Trunk or Treat yesterday. I, it was such a good time. And uh, yesterday, I was in charge for Trunk or Treat of, of setting up the music that was going on outside. And uh, as I was setting up the music, I asked, you know, is there a specific playlist we should be playing or anything like that? And there wasn't anything kind of specific. So I just I went on Spotify and I searched Kids Clean Halloween Playlist. And I looked at the first five or six songs of it. It looked good. It's, you know, Monster Mash, the classics. And what I didn't realize is that song 10 on that playlist was Highway to Hell. And it just so happened that that song came on as all of the people arrived to the event. <laughs> so everyone was like, is this really happening right now? Are we listening to this? And thankfully, Lisa Chapman saved my butt and went and changed the music. So I doubt your Saturday was worse than that. So I'm glad that you're here today. Thanks for joining us this morning for church. Um, this week, I came across this story uh, of Patricia Chawner. She's a 39-year-old mom from Glasgow, Scotland. And Patricia had a problem that I think many of us can resonate with living in Victoria. Patricia had fruit flies. Has anybody had fruit flies in their house recently? Are they the worst? You're going to cook a meal, and they're just like flying in your face. You go to grab a piece of fruit, and like 16 fly off of it, and you're like, I don't want that fruit anymore. It looks disgusting. But Patricia had fruit flies in her house, and so she decided to take matters into her own hands. She went to the store and bought some spray that she could spray to get rid of the fruit flies in her home. And so she, before she goes to bed that night, she sprays it all throughout her house and she tries to make sure she gets all the main areas that the fruit flies had been flying in and she goes to bed. In the morning, she wakes up and realizes that the fruit flies are still there. So she douses her house once again in more spray, trying to get rid of the fruit flies. Well, a couple of hours go by and she starts to get a headache and she's like, what is, what is going on here? And she, so she goes back and looks at the bottle and it turns out that the bottle had been mislabeled. Here's what it actually was. On the outside, it was bug spray, but on the inside, it was actually gas lighter refill, refill fluid. She had been dousing her home in butane. And to make matters worse, she was a smoker. If she lit up one cigarette, she would have been getting rid of a lot more than the fruit flies. Thankfully, no one was hurt in the, in the incident. She went back to the store, and uh, they took the products off the shelves, and everything was okay. But there's, there was something serious that could have happened based on a product being mislabeled. And today, I want to argue and, and, and try and talk around this topic of when we live our lives mislabeled, there can be serious consequences to it as well. Just like there was one bottle that was mislabeled and it could have led to serious consequences for Patricia and her family, when we walk around with the wrong labels on ourselves, 
and believing the wrong things about ourselves, there can be serious consequences to it. As we go through life, each one of us has to answer some main kind of questions. And one of the main questions that each of us has to answer is this question, who am I? Psychologist Eric Erickson says this is one of the chief social tasks for each adolescent and young person growing up is answering the question, who am I? Where do I fit in the world? How do I understand myself? Who am I? And it's a question that each one of us has to actually wrestle with. The main thing that this question gets at is actually this main theme that I want to camp out on today, identity. Identity is what this question is all about. Identity is all about your sense of self, your sense of who you understand yourself to be, your self-worth, how you see yourself and understand yourself. Now, let me ask you a question. Has anybody had this just magically dropped into them? Have you gone on a walk one day and all of a sudden you're like, this is who I am. I will now live my life this way for the rest of the time. No, we, we don't have this sense of identity just firmed up. It'd be nice if it was that way as we were growing up, but for each one of us, this is a process or a journey. And so let me say an encouragement to young people in the room today, to kids, to teenagers, to young adults. If you don't have it all figured out yet, it's okay. I bet you if you asked the adults sitting near you, they would probably say they still wrestle with this question sometimes. We have to wrestle with this question around identity and the challenge is, as we wrestle with these, these ideas and these, these questions like, who am I and our identity, is that we're not born into a neutral space. We're actually born into a river that is flowing one direction when it comes to our identities. And that river can, of culture around us can form us and deform our identities, we're not born into a neutral space. I love the way Pastor Tim Keller puts it. He says, whether we, are consciously, whether we consciously realize it or not, every culture, without our permission and without naming it as such, imposes an identity formation on us, its members. The culture that we live in is trying to tell you who you are, why you matter, what you can bring to the world. They're trying to show you why you are valuable and how you should understand and see yourself. And depending on what culture you live in, there are two kind of primary frameworks that can often uh, be given to us. And I borrowed these from pastors John Tyson and Susie Silk, who are pastors in New York City. And they are the traditional framework and a modern framework. And they define a traditional framework this way. In ancient times, a person's identity was formed within a traditional honor-based framework. Living an honorable life was defined as the highest good, and being an honorable person meant that you had a secure, valued, and affirmed identity. Most cultures define honor as sacrificing one's own happiness and life for the sake of a community, for the sake of others. If the community survived, grew, and thrived as a result of your efforts in life, then you were an honorable person worthy of praise. This ancient traditional identity was a completely, and this is the key word for us today, external identity. Honor was defined by the community as the highest good, and it was the community, family, and parents who determined if you'd lived up to this good. Your job was to learn the definition of honor and then seek to live according to it to get your thoughts, desires, and feelings to submit to living an honorable life for the sake of others. 
This traditional framework, the main word that I want us to take from it is it's an external framework that is given to you. Your parents, your, your family, your community that you live in gives you external answers to your identity questions. This is who you are. This is who you should be. That is the whole idea around a traditional framework of identity. But over time, we've moved from a traditional framework, especially in the West, into a more modern framework. And so this is one that you would probably recognize around us more prevalently. And a modern framework is defined this way. In a modern framework, there are no moral absolutes. There are no universal virtues by which to determine what is good and how to live a good life. Instead, each person looks inside herself to find out what she believes is good and moral. What is good for one person might not be what is good for another. Within this new modern framework, validation must also move inward. No longer does your community or village elders or your philosophers and scientists determine what is good and whether you are living up to this definition of good. Instead, validation must also come from within. You must determine what is good and then whether you are living up to this standard of good. This way of seeing the world and seeing our identities is an internal framework. We determine and discover and figure out who we are in our identity inside, internally, and then we externalize it and share it with the world. We say, this is who I am. This is my true self. This is what I'm all about. These two frameworks, both an external framework where identity is handed to us and an internal framework where we discover who we are and our identities come from within, both pose challenges and difficulties, though. In the first one, in an internal framework, if you, everything, when it comes to your identity, is just up to you. You have to figure it out. You have to understand who you are and come to a more realized version of yourself. There is so much pressure on you to have all the answers. If you don't know who you are, who do you turn to for help? If you don't understand the question, who am I? Where do you look to if the internally you're supposed to understand and you're supposed to know this? The pressure is on you to figure out the answers to those big life questions about who you are. Well, whereas externally, there is pressure put on you from other people. There's a pressure that is put on you from family, from your community, from your culture, there's an external pressure put on you. Just a couple weeks ago, to give you an example, from this very stage at the 11 a.m. gathering, I said this thing, and immediately I got pressure. I said, Costco's pumpkin pie is better than your grandma's pumpkin pie. And you booed me. <laughs> there was this pressure to fit into what you wanted me to believe about pumpkin pies, whether it's right or wrong. And I would maybe walk back the strength of what I said, but I still believe Costco pumpkin pies are delicious. So there's this external pressure from everyone in the room. And I'm saying that kind of in jest, but externally, if we get our identity given to us from other people, there can be a pressure. Has anybody been online recently? <laughs> you see any pressure online at all? If you say the wrong thing, or do the wrong thing, or believe the wrong thing, or don't take a stand against the right cause, or don't fill in the blank here, there's this pressure for you to fit into what is right and what the online community of your choice believes about a certain issue. 
And it's similar in person too. We can, we can believe that there's this pressure on the outside pushing on all of us to believe certain things about ourselves and about our place in this world. And back and forth between these two pressures we can go. An internal pressure where everything is on ourselves to figure out our identity and an external pressure where other people are saying who we are. And both of them have a lot of pressure. And so that got me thinking regarding our our passage today that I want to look at. What if there was a third option? What if it wasn't just an external identity given to us or an internal identity that we figure out? What if there was actually a third option? And that's where Daniel and I think his three friends help us a great deal. If you haven't been with us, we are in a series called Thriving in Babylon, based on the book of Daniel. And, and Thriving in Babylon is this whole idea that these young men were taken in captivity from their homeland in Israel and put into a, a, a nation that was trying to strip out their, their Jewishness, trying to strip out their Israelite heritage and trying to imprint on these young men what it meant to be Babylonians. And in this climate and in this culture, we, we can read these words about Daniel and his three friends, starting in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years. At the end of that time, they were to attend to the king. And these last two verses are where I really want to focus. Among them from the Judites, or the Israelites, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave them the name Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. The chief eunuch changed these boys' names. There's power in a name, isn't there? It's interesting. My, my wife and I, as we were expecting our first child, we were, we were trying to figure out what to name him. And uh, a bit of our story and our journey is that for years we struggled with infertility and we wanted to have kids, but we couldn't have kids. So as we got to the point where our son was about to come into the world, we landed on a name uh, with some significance to us. And his name is Bo Samuel. Samuel is his middle name. Bo is his first name. And Bo means to live in Swedish. And Samuel means God has heard. And so his name is literally a testimony to the kindness of God, that God has heard our prayer for this little man to live. And it's a testimony to all of us in the room of God's continued kindness in our lives. We we weren't guaranteed anything, but it is God's kindness that he gave us this little man and this son in our lives. There's power in a name. And no one understood this more than the Jewish people. The Jewish people believed that there was power in the names that they gave to their kids. Uh, caught up in the name is, the, is uh, caught up in the Hebrew word for soul is uh, neshama, sorry. And central to that word are the middle two letters shin and mem. And together they make the Hebrew word shem, which is name. The idea behind this is that a person's identity, a person's essence, a person's soul is caught up in the name that they are given. 
The names really mattered to the Jewish people. In a name was a story or a prophetic word about who that person was going to be. And so when, when they go into Babylon and the chief eunuch changes their names, there is a much greater significance than your or my name being changed in our culture today. There is a prophetic word being spoken over these young men that is being stripped away from their Hebrew identity and they are being given a new identity. And in each one of these, each one of these instances, the names in the Hebrew culture really mattered and had significance. And the reason for this is, is caught up in Israel's history. At certain moments, Israel had different leaders where they had their names changed by God for a prophetic purpose. Uh, Abram in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12 is called by God to leave his homeland and to go and to follow him. And, and so Abram leaves everything behind. And then in Genesis chapter 17, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. And he says, your name shall be called Abraham, which means a father of a multitude. For the father of a multitude of nations, I have made you. There's only one problem. Abram or Abraham now, and Sarah had no kids. How are you going to be a father to many nations without any kids or anyone to pass on your lineage to? Well, God was saying prophetically in that moment, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. He changed his name to speak identity over him. And in that moment, Abraham's trajectory was changed. And at other moments in Israel's history, similar things happened. For Abraham's grandson, Jacob, Jacob means heel, and all throughout Jacob's first half of his life, he had turned on his heel and ran away from problems. He ran away from difficulties. He ran away from conflict with his brother. And as he gets older, he realizes he wants to fix those relationships. And so he starts to head back towards Esau, his brother, who there was a damaged and fractured relationship. And as he starts to go back home, he wrestles with an angel. And in that moment, God changes his name to Israel, which means God prevails. He had been running his whole life. And in a moment instead, by turning and submitting to God, God won. And his name was changed forever. God in the beginning spoke things into creation. He gave names to different things and the Jewish people had a reverence for each thing that was given a name because of it. And so for these men to have their names changed, it was a core piece of who they were and their identity. And specifically, here's what their names were changed to. He changes Daniel's name, which means Yahweh is my judge, to Belteshazzar, which means Bell's prince. In each one of the name changes, the young men had names that reflected an aspect of who Yahweh, their God, was. And in each instance, the chief eunuch tried to give them a different name associated with the Babylonian gods instead. Do you see what's going on here? What God has put into these young men Hananiah, beloved by God, the chief eunuch tries to change to Shadrach, meaning illumined by the sun god. For the, for the next two guys, Mishael, which means who is as God, he changed it to Meshach, which is responding to the, the Ishtar and Venus. The name Azariah means the Lord is my help, was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nego. 
for the chief eunuch, he tried to say what God has said about you, what your Hebrew God has put on you, I'm going to replace that with the Babylonian gods and you're going to follow them and be defined by them and your identities. Externally, there was this pressure for them to fit in, to change, to be responding to the Babylonian way of life. And internally, the the pressure was there too. There's not a lot for these guys to feel great about. They've been taken from their home. They've been taken from their place of worship. They've been taken from their culture and their families. And everything has been stripped away from them. And they are resettled into a new nation. Which as a brief aside, shout out to anyone who is a refugee or an immigrant to this country. We see you. You are awesome. And we are grateful that you are here. To have your your identity, your home completely changed and your, your whole life uprooted is what these young men had. And in a moment, it could be easy to, to, to feel that pressure internally. I don't have a lot to feel great about. I've had everything stripped away from me. And externally, the pressure given to them by the new names and by the Babylonian culture. And I think for all of us today, we can kind of resonate with being under this type of pressure. We can think we have our identities all figured out especially some of, the, some of us in the room today who've been journeying for a while in life. We can think we have a good sense of ourselves, and then in an instant, we lose something. We lose a job that we worked hard to acquire. We lose a loved one who we thought we would have many more years with. Our kids leave home, an empty nest. Anybody, do we have any empty nesters in the room today? And you can start to wonder, who am I apart from my kids. Identity questions aren't just questions for young people in the room today. They're questions for all of us. We can come up to moments in life where our identity can be shaken and we can be asking the question, who am I? And this is what I love about these young men. These young men in in an instant where they could have been shaken, their identities were not. If you go on to read the rest of the story, which we don't have time to get into every part of it today, these young men, when their identities could have been shaken, instead their identities were secure and they rise to the top of their field. They sit in the king's courts. They sit there and they interpret the king's dreams. They didn't didn't submit to the internal pressures that said, you don't have it together. You're forgotten about. You're an outcast. They didn't listen to those voices. Instead, they rose up in their fields. Externally, when the king said to them, you have to stop praying to your gods, Daniel said, I'm going to still pray to my God three times a day. When the king said to them, you have to bow your knee to this golden statue of me, they said, no, we're not going to bow down. These young men were secure and rooted in their identities, and they got it. And this is what I believe that these young men got so right. They weren't listening to just an external voice or an internal voice, but they were listening to what the eternal voice of God had spoken over their identities. External voices wanted to speak to them. Their internal voice wanted to speak to who they were and their identity but it was the external voice of God who spoke over them and knew who they were, calling them to that nation and to that people that mattered most. And can I say something to all of us today, friends? It is not what someone else has said about you that matters most about who you are. Other people throughout your life may have tried to give you labels, labels that you maybe didn't want or didn't earn. 
You might have labels that you've placed on yourself. You failed on a project at work or at school and you take on that label of being a loser. You go through a divorce and you take on that label of being broken and being unlovable. You may have labels that you have placed on yourself and believed about yourself to be true. And let me remind you today, the labels that you believe about yourself aren't even the most important thing. What matters most is what God has spoken about you. Three people believe that today. That's great. (laughs) What matters most is what God has said about you. If you start with an external label or an external identity or even an internal label, we start with the same flawed starting point. Broken and imperfect people. I love the way John Tyson and Susie Silk put it. In a traditional society or an external society, you love and obey the community elders. And in the modern identity, you love and adore the self. And in both cases, we are loving and adoring other flawed human beings, like staring at our reflection in a pond. If your starting point is flawed, you're going to get flawed outcomes and conclusions. If we allow others to label us first, or even we label ourselves first and foremost, We are going to get labels that God has not said are true about each one of us today. What matters most is not external voices trying to label you and tell you who you are, or even your internal voices about who you feel that you are, but what God has spoken over you is what matters the most. And I don't want us to just walk away from today being like, okay, God's voice matters most. Cool. I want us to walk away actually practically applying this to our lives. And so here are four kind of practical application steps for how we can actually take and apply this to each one of our lives today. And it's four R's because I really, 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 really want you to remember it. Okay. So the first R is this. Recognize what voices are shaping your identity. Sometimes we need to stop and to look, where did that belief about myself come from? Is it something that a parent or a teacher or a coworker or a friend said about me and I've taken it on as a label that I walk through life with? Is it something that I believed about myself based on my past or my story? We have to recognize where the labels that we walk around life and our identity are formed by. What voices are shaping your sense of self? Is it an external voice? From your family? From the culture that we live in? From your friends? Is it an internal voice? Or is it God's voice that's shaping your identity? Second R is that we need to reject voices that don't align with what God says about us. Just like the story that I started out with today, one can of bug spray being mislabeled had serious consequences. If we walk through life with the wrong labels on ourselves, it can cause us to not live the lives that God has created and designed and intends for each one of us to live. If we believe that we are too broken or too flawed or unlovable or whatever you might fill in the blank with, we can live lives that fall short of who God has created and saved and loves each one of us to be. For some of you in the room today, you have labels that have been on you for maybe a long time. 
You're a failure. You're unwanted. You're unlovable. You're too broken. You're alone. You're forgotten. You are what you do or you are what you contribute. We have these labels that we just take on and attach to ourselves. And we need to recognize that if those labels are actually causing us condemnation and shame, that they are not from God. Now, to be clear, God will convict us of sin and lead us towards greater wholeness and healing. But if the voices instead lead us away from God and away from healing, we can recognize those voices as condemnation and shame. As feel in this moment, for people who are specifically, you know, watching online and watching at home, as I've met people who haven't been at church for a while, I, I see this voice of shame. They're embarrassed that they haven't been here. They're embarrassed that they haven't been back to church or they're, they're embarrassed and, and they, they feel like they can't make it. So let me just speak to you today. The voice of shame is not the voice you need to listen to. We want you to, to know you are loved here. Whether you keep watching at home or whether you join us back, but we miss you. and want you to know you are loved. Now back to everyone who's in the room. Okay. We need to reject the voices that are not aligned with what God says about us. We recognize them and then we reject them. But we don't just reject them and leave it as a void space. We actually replace them with the truth of God. This is so important because we can just try to reject them, but all we end up doing is focusing on the negative. I'm not a loser. I am not a loser. I am not a loser. If we don't replace it with the truth of God in those moments, we are leaving a void. What we need to do is replace it with the truth of what God says. And, and this is why it's so important for us. You might wonder, why do I need to read my Bible? This is why it's so important for us to get into Scripture, to see what God has said about us, to see what He has spoken over each one of us. And it's why today, uh, on your way out, I've created, or I found these little cards, and I printed one off for each one of you. And, and what they are is just small little identity statements about what God says over you. It says that you are chosen by God. You are a child of God. You are redeemed and forgiven. You are loved. You are accepted. You are precious. You are a new creation. You are strong. You are unique. You are created for a purpose. You are important. You have gifts to give. You are not alone and you are protected. That is what God says over each one of us in this room today. And if you want a more exhaustive list, I've actually got a, a sheet. Just You can email me. My email is just Tyson at Callwood Church of 80-some statements of identity that are in the Bible that you can reflect on and, and you can speak over yourself because that's what God says about each one of us. And if you want that list, just email me. I'll happily share it with you. But for each one of us today, I encourage you to take one of these home and to do what the last R is. Repeat the truth. In John 8, it says the truth will set us free, but the truth isn't going to set us free if we have lies on repeat in our mind. If we have lies going from our main adversary, behind every external voice that's not aligned with God, there is one voice, the voice of the father of lies. The voice of an enemy who wants to seek to steal, kill, and destroy your identity. And he doesn't want you to live aligned with what God says about you. And that's why we need to repeat the truth. 
Because for each false label that we have believed and lived out of, we need to actually repeat the truth so it takes a hold and takes grip in our lives. And so this is what I want you to do this week. Take one of these cards home. Put it on your mirror in your bathroom. Hopefully you brush your teeth at least once a day. At least. And while you brush your teeth, just choose one word. Choose one word that you need to hear in your identity. And say it over yourself each day. I am a child of God. I am loved. I am forgiven. Whatever you need to say to replace the lie and reject the lie that an enemy has spoken over you, I encourage you to do that this week and repeat the truth to yourself each and every day. Friends, for all of us, when we're trying to figure out questions of identity, we need to follow these young men's examples. They stayed rooted and secure in who they were and understood who they were, even in the midst of internal and external pressures, and they paid attention to the eternal voice of God in their lives. You are who God says you are first and foremost. And I hope you walk away with that truth sinking deeply into your soul today. That is my prayer over each one of us. Would you pray today with me as we close? Father, it can be easy for us to walk through life with labels that aren't aligned with what you speak over us. Labels that hold us back. Labels that keep us stuck in sin. Labels that keep us ashamed. Labels that give us no hope for today and tomorrow. And so I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of this place and we would see more clearly what you believe about us. That we would see and believe and live into the truths that you speak over us in your word. That you have created us with a plan and a purpose. That you know the number of hairs on our heads that we have not been forgotten about, but that you have loved us and given your life for us. May we live into that identity more and more each day, Lord. And may we walk out of this place being secure and rooted. Even when our days are going bad and our internal voice wants to say that we are a loser or we're broken or we're too messed up. Even on the days where there's external pressure to fit in and to believe certain things about ourselves. I pray that today, Lord, as we leave this place, we would be rooted and secure in our identity that you have given to us. In your name we pray all these things, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Got a little fly friend here. He was hyped on the message too. He was just buzzing around. That's good. As you head out today, they're, they're just on the cards that are on the table. You can grab one. encourage you to repeat, it, repeat that truth over yourself this week. If you're brand new to church or to faith, and you want to figure out more about what following Jesus is all about, we'd encourage you to text LIFE to 250-478-7113. And one of our pastors would love to help you as you start your journey uh, of faith and following Jesus. We love you, church, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. We will see you again next week.